0: We light a light in the name of God who creates life. We light a light in the name of Christ who loves life. We light a light in the name of spirit who is the fire of life.
1: Keep
2: Let us worship God. reading is the 98th Psalm. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of those who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our minds and hearts this morning, that your word might fall afresh upon us this day. Amen. Oh, sing to God a new song, for God has done marvelous things. God's right hand and God's holy arm have gained victory. The Holy One has made known God's victory. God has revealed God's vindication in the sight of the nations. God has remembered God's steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to God with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the Sovereign, the Holy One. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and and those who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills sing together for joy at the presence of the Holy One. For God is coming to judge the earth. God will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God.
0: Our second reading comes from the book of Haggai, chapter 115b to 2, 9. In the second year of King Darius, in the seventh month on the 21st day of the month, the word of God came by the prophet Haggai saying, speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? Yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says God. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Holy One. Work, for I am with you, says the God of hosts according to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit abides among you, do not fear. For thus says the God of hosts, once again in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come and I will fill this house with splendor, says the God of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine says the God of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the God of hosts. And in this place, I will give prosperity, says the God of hosts. The word of God for the people of God. Please pray with me. Gracious God, bend our ears, open our hearts, let us be curious together about your message for us today. Amen. Finally, you all don't know what I'm talking about, finally I'm here. I think this is my third time preaching. This is my first time seeing all of you. So it's very nice, what a blessing. A couple of weeks ago, I preached at a church whose pastor and a group of congregants had gone on a mission trip to paradise. You might recall that paradise was destroyed by fire in 2018. 85 people died in that fire and 19,000 structures were destroyed. You might even remember the state of the natural world here in the Bay Area. At that time. I've often heard over the years of how forests are healed after a fire, how new life eventually springs up. It's a version of natural rebuilding. Deep in reflection about that I caught myself staring at my favorite plant. It's my favorite because we've been through something serious together and it's still alive. It used to sit on top of a bookcase that is situated at the end of the kitchen counter. About six years ago, I accidentally knocked over a jar of oil into its pot. I got as much of the oil out as I could and wasn't sure if I needed to change out its soil or not. I didn't, it looked okay, it didn't die. A couple of weeks later, I started to notice the leaves had thickened and were greasy. So again, I waited for it to die. And it didn't. And finally, after two years, it turned the corner and started to really grow. So I I believe it has forgiven me. Now it's the healthiest it's ever been and thriving. I often feel like its life is a testament to the resiliency of nature. And because of that, it continues to minister to me. It's obvious that plants are not like people. We live a more complicated life. Not all of us take seriously that our lives, though we are free, do not strictly belong to us. There is an expectation for the ways we live our lives. God expects obedience, but gives us the freedom to choose it or not. Throughout human history, according to our sacred texts, God has been forming, shaping, reshaping, and repeating this cycle over again and over again. God has utilized the gifts of prophets to get the point across. God has talked directly to humans to get the point across, and still complete repentance has not been achieved. Humans have gotten distracted with life, with power, with self-satisfaction, with what's easier and have continued to choose their own way. I imagine that God even now is reshaping us by the experiences of our everyday lives. So God had to emphasize how much love there is for us and Jesus was born, condescending to us through the birth experience and walking among us. Jesus became the ultimate teacher and model, showing us, challenging us, and rebuking us when needed. At the one year anniversary gathering of the residents of Paradise, a statue created by artist Jesse Mercer was unveiled. It is made from 12,000 keys donated by Paradise residents. I don't know if you all know this. The keys all belong to things that burned, including homes, safes, jet skis, and diaries. Together they form the shape of a phoenix, the mythical bird who dies in fire before being reborn from the ashes. Town officials dedicated an 8,000 square foot building they named the Building Resiliency Center, which they plan to house the city's building permit center to help jumpstart construction for thousands of property owners. In our scripture lesson today, the prophet Haggai is speaking to the people in his hometown during the second temple period. There are only a few who remember the first temple before it was destroyed, before the Jews were exiled in Babylon. Here now many had returned to the Holy Land. Though this book covers only three to five months in the lives of the Jews, Haggai leads them from a place of complacency to a place of action. His impetus was the restoration of the monarchy out of which the stump of Jesse would bear a future savior. In chapter one, his message from God to the people points out how they have gone about their lives without regard to the temple. And they have had some other challenges like economic hardship and drought that might seem like justification for their inaction. God reminds them that their lackluster lives and the need for restoration of the temple might be tied together. That is not right for them. To live in functional homes while God's house is a shambles. Haggai's message is not just for the common folk, but for the leadership as well, for the governor and the high priest. And according to the New Interpreter Study Bible commentary, Haggai is unlike most other prophets because the people actually listen to him. What does that say about the prophets? This is where the words of the psalmist seem to interweave themselves into the rebuilding. God has remembered God's steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel, for God has done marvelous things. The people were made to remember the plentiful harvests of the past, the provisions of food and clothing, and the wages they made to support their families. And the spirit of the people, the governor, the high priest, and Haggai were stirred up to action, and the rebuilding began. Our text today has us join the scenario after the people have started to rebuild. Whether they are, were scared into obedience or just superstitious, the text doesn't say. But they started to work on the second temple. Haggai then brings the people an oracle, an assurance from God, of God's presence with them. The reading this morning from the NRSV says, "Take courage," But I love the NIV translation, be strong. God tells each of them to be strong, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. It does take courage to forge ahead, not really knowing exactly how things will turn out. It takes courage to work together over the time it takes to get something done, to complete rebuilding. Courage to be directive and to be directed, courage to disagree and compromise. You know, when we read the biblical text without imagination, we might miss the fact that the people were people. No project ever proceeds without some kind of conflict, not even the ones where the workers have zero power. It takes courage to move through all of that and be successful in the end. It also takes takes strength, that is, resolve, resiliency, and fortitude to move through the machinations of decision making and order taking, to withhold snarky remarks and embrace contrition. It takes strength for endurance and patience and boldness to overcome complacency and fatigue and loss of interest. I was at your last council meeting, so I know that you have recently finished with focus group meetings about your mission study. So it seems like the scripture lesson today works well for where you are in your process. The ministry of this church has been guided, has been guided by God who put leadership in place with certain gifts and skills. As the elements of the ministry change, as the environment, social climate, and actual neighborhood changes, the challenge is not to take action steps to put things back the way they were. The challenge is to reassess and reimagine if you were here during the first temple period or just to imagine if you are relatively new. It is, not, it is enough to sit in the same spiritual space before and after exile. If our personal lives are not static, should our spiritual and communal lives be static? When something is first built, there is a plan a structured goal that is not based on personality or with the benefit of hindsight. It has no sense of real-time functionality or the inevitability of reality. It is made to serve a purpose without regard to the changing times. But when that something is rebuilt, it questions the original plan and adds to it the circumstances of being the experiences of short-sightedness and unpredictability, of the encounters in the highs of jubilation and the feeling like home, of the limitations of presence and the sway of possibility. It beckons to broader thinking, to introspection and speculation. God stirs up our spirits so that out of gratitude and love, we might envision a more expansive future, a more inclusive nature, more intentional focus, Or refocus. Our spirits are stirred up with the memories of God's loving kindness and provision and we are compelled to take a panoramic view of our interchange with creation and with those next door. Rebuilding allows you to customize your dreams, to be on the front lines of making something truly significant a reality. It is a time to delve for the answers to the questions that will shape this place. There may be some need to shore up the physical foundation, but the rebuilding that happens here is more about leadership and ministry. As your liaison to the Committee on Ministry, I encourage you to consider what makes you church, not what makes a church. Think about what works here, not in comparison to the old ways, but in honor of the new realities. Be curious about that which God is cultivating for the next phase of your ministry together. Think about what it means to establish justice and to search out where justice should reside. Think about the impact of hospitality. Friendly hospitality gives folks a reason to visit. What would be their reason to stay? How do you rebuild in light of post-pandemic realities? And then subsequently, how can you think more broadly about being open to other new possibilities. The answers to these questions are the stuff that make up the substance of the rebuilding blocks for the future of this church. They are the keys that unlock the way forward. Think of them as a love offering, as though you are the psalmist. Each answer is like you singing a new song to the Lord, each insight like making a joyful noise with trumpets and the sound of a horn. Your shared vision is like singing praises and you're coming together to discuss this in community, like letting the sea roar and the floods clap their hands. The psalmist writes that God will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And Haggai tells us that as you rebuild the temple, God is present with you, that the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, God will grant peace. So take courage, 7th Avenue Presbyterian Church. Take courage, counsel. Be strong, Jenna. The Lord is with you. Be strong, Luba and Leslie. Be strong, Nathan and Kathleen and Charles and Jane. God assures us you will never be forsaken. Be strong, Tim, and Tim, and Nick, and Pamela, and Connie, and Nancy. God's loving kindness is steadfast and sure. Be strong, Helen, and Sharon, and Carolyn, and Betty, and Ellen, and Genevieve. God's spirit remains among you. To all of the leadership and to all of the people, take courage and be strong and work for God is with you. It's time to rebuild. Amen.
1: Stop. Stop.
2: Holy One, you have fed us in bread and cup, in word and silence, in song and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Be strong. Be strong this day. Be strong this week. All you people of 7th Avenue and work for God is with you.